we're back again. Again, Scott. Yes. Two another, weeks in a row. Another new podcast. We're excited to be back. A Thanks very, for tuning in. Very special guest, Dr. Michelle Yetman. That's right. You might have heard our interview with Dr. Tinsley, who's at LSU Health, helping, doing good in the community. She got us connected because April is Autism Awareness Month. Oh. And so Dr. Yetman works with uh, folks that have autism, and so she's going to come on today and talk a little bit about it and raise some awareness and some good stuff. That's neat. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. If you're watching on YouTube, we do have the video version on YouTube. You can go look up The Simple Church on YouTube and subscribe. Make sure you hit subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss a single new episode. And give us a five-star review, Scott. Give it us helps. a five-star review. When you go to search for The Simple Church, it helps people to find it, puts it higher up in the feed, and does good in the algorithm. There you go. Yep. Can't wait. There you go. Let's check out this Looking conversation. That's, they probably have no idea what you're time, doing. Every time, it's terrible. Every time. <laughs> that, that little soundtrack song that's the intro music, our pastor will make the noise and go along with it. And Scott tries to he does this. It. He it's does this same. high-pitched scream, and that's just it's not the same. <laughs> it's not. So Mine sounds like a whine. It's not great, Scott. But we have <laughs> probably the most educated people we've ever had on this podcast together. True. There's more degrees in this room and education and experience than normal. Yeah, especially oh, since I don't have a degree. <laughs> there you go. That's right. But we are so thankful you are here. We'd love for you to just introduce yourself. We'll start with Dr. Yetman. Tell us about yourself, what you do, and all the good stuff about you and why you're here today. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Michelle Yetman. I'm an assistant professor at the School of Allied Health, LSU Health Science Center. And um, I'm here to talk about autism. April is Autism Awareness. So thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, and I really appreciate this opportunity as well. Um, my name is Becca Durr. I am a speech-language pathologist. And so I work at LSU School of Allied Health um, in the Children's Center where we do autism evaluations and treatment. And then also I'm an early intervention speech therapist, and so I go um, with early steps to do speech therapy for zero to three-year-olds. So. That's I awesome. feel very uneducated right, right? now. Right? <laughs> we are among some very smart people, Scott, and we're so thankful y'all are here to talk about this. And we had talked to Dr. Tinsley, and she connected us yeah. with you guys and what y'all are doing at LSU and all the good stuff. But it is Autism Awareness Month. I don't, right. I don't know if most people know that in April. And you hear about, like, Breast Cancer Awareness Month and these different things. But we are so glad you're able to come on. And you were saying you've been on a media blitz trying been. to talk about it here in Treeport bozier Right. Right, because one of the things we know about autism is the earlier a child gets diagnosed, uh, the earlier they receive treatment. And autism is an interesting disorder. Um, children with autism learn, but they learn in a very specific way. So language a lot of times doesn't mean much to them. So they're really visual learners. There's a lot of really effective therapies we have for children with autism, but in order to receive those therapies, they really need a diagnosis and they need targeted therapies therapies designed for autism. Hmm. So they need to get diagnosed as early as possible so they can start receiving those specific treatments. And what the research tells us is the earlier you get diagnosed and the earlier you start receiving that early intensive intervention, the better your lifelong outcome will be. Hmm. That's what the research tells us. So early intervention is key. Early diagnosis is key. So we're big fans of, you know, talking about early diagnosis, early intervention, because it makes um, a lifetime difference. Yeah. 
And I think there's a fear a lot of times, and we have families in the church of kids that have autism and have gone through, and actually in real time, our neighbors this past year had a two-year-old who's now three that went through, and they kind of suspected, but you weren't sure, and my wife was having those conversations with her, the mom of, and we just don't really know, should we do something or not? And you don't want to be labeled, right? There's the fear and the stigma, and it'll just be a phase and work out. But what you're saying is, by learning it early, you actually get more help and do better in the long run. Absolutely. What I always tell parents is, you know, you really want to trust your gut and trust your gut instinct. And it's really funny because we have all this research that shows that your gut is a lot of, is really right a lot of times. Mm. So, for instance, there was this, you know, um, groundbreaking study that showed 85% of the time when a mother thought there was something wrong with her child. Now, she didn't know what was wrong. She couldn't tell you what the diagnosis was. But if she felt like, you know, no, their development is off. I really think something's seriously wrong with my child. Um, she was right. Even if no one else, the pediatrician was saying, oh, he's just a boy. He's just a late talker. And we, for a long time, we really had to fight to overcome that old school thinking of, you know, boys are just slower than girls or girls talk sooner or girls develop sooner because we know that really that delayed a diagnosis is not a good thing. It slows down intervention. And so you want to trust your gut. Whenever you have a concern about your child as a parent, bring it up to your pediatrician. Advocate for an evaluation. And I always say, if you see what we do at the Children's Center, it can't hurt. Right. It, it's really play-based evaluation. It looks like fun. You're not poking and prodding. We're not them. poking. There's no needles. No one wears a white coat. Um, at the at the minimum, it can reassure you that you know what, it's fine. Your child's development is on track. There's a range of normal development, and they might fall as long as they fall within that range. That's fine. Or you know, we'll just keep on monitoring them. We're, no one's going to sign the label just yet. Um, but to just relay your fears, so you're not losing sleep at night. Um, we don't jump to put labels on. But sometimes getting that label is what you need to get the services. Right. So there's an advantage to getting a diagnosis if it is warranted. And we would never give a diagnosis if it wasn't warranted. So we really had to come uh, work hard to overcome that, you know, just wait and see approach because sometimes we lose time. Yeah. And time can make a difference. And that, and that time is so valuable, especially so early. And so I'll say, um, just as an early intervention therapist, I get to walk with families through that diagnosis process a lot of times. And, and I think a lot of parents are so scared of that label. And the thing with autism is it's such a spectrum. And so just because you put that label on, it does not mean that your child is going to be X, Y, Z. And so I think... Um, a lot of people have this idea that autism is only the lower level, things like that, and that is not what it looks like in every kid. Every kid, I tell people all the time, if you have, if you see a child with autism, you've seen one child with autism because none of them look the same. And hmm. so um, that spectrum is so hard for people to understand that it looks different in every child. Um, and so just because you have that label or that label is um Helpful for getting, like Dr. Yetman said, the treatments that are necessary and effective so young. Um, it doesn't assign a specific outcome or a specific life path for your child. And um, you sent us some facts over, and there's some pretty famous people that they suspect are mm -hmm. autistic or on the spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. I know there's a list that you sent that they think maybe it was Bill Gates or a couple. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people, and it's hard to speculate. Sure. But definitely when we watch their behavior on camera, you know, not making eye contact or rapidly blinking, um, there's a lot of famous people that we uh, we do, we do um, suspect. Um, but to talk about the spectrum, which uh, Becca was talking about, for instance, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years, so I definitely see 
that whole range. And so we both have a colleague. I diagnosed uh, my colleague's son when he was in eighth grade with high functioning autism. He now works at the National Institutes of Health. He's wow. working on a cure for pancreatic cancer. He's one of the, he has a PhD. He's one of the few researchers in the country who knows how to work. I, I can't even describe it to you. It's so above my <laughs> knowledge base. And then it's definitely this above ours. <laughs> proton, electron, microscope, but it's, you know, they're, they're feverishly working on trying to find a cure for pancreatic cancer. Brilliant individual. He still has autism. To give you another example of twin boys I diagnosed, both on the spectrum. Mm. One is nonverbal, cannot communicate, has co-occurring intellectual disability. If he gets upset, he gets aggressive, flaps, you know, very aggravated. His twin brother, very high functioning, perfect language, wants friends, his area of restricted interest is sports. So he knows everything about sports. So if he met you, he'd start talking to you about sports, what kind of sports, works great. Until you meet someone like me, who doesn't know anything about sports. <laughs> and so with, he meets me and he goes through, what about hockey? Nope, what about curling? What about football? What about, I'm like, curling. I don't know any sport. I'm Canadian by birth. So we should ah, try. Okay, there That's you go. He, that makes sense. He tried everything. And it's like, but I know nothing about sports. And then he's got nothing to communicate with mm. me about because all he knows is that's his restricted range of interest is sports. Yeah. So we see deficits in communication and social interaction in this restricted interest. Both those are twins. Both of those boys have autism. But you can see how different they look. So, you know, you really have to appreciate this spectrum. So I do think Becca's right when she says parents fear the label, but you have to realize you don't know what this child's future could be. They could be a cancer researcher. They could be a professor. Um, that one, that one of those twin boys, he got a full uh, scholarship to college, even though he's still on the spectrum. So it's such a range. It's such a unique disorder. Yeah. Yeah. My cousin who is on the spectrum, he is in the Coast Guard and I believe he's an officer in the Coast Guard. Yeah. So in Florida, yeah, and so he's, but he got diagnosed. He got diagnosed late. Mm-hmm. I think he got diagnosed in middle school. And that's yeah. that's typical for high functioning individuals. And so, for instance, what we talk about the one article I wrote talked about the autism advantage in work. And so, for instance, um, the big accounting firm, uh, I can't think of the name. It's all right. But um, you know, the rest of us quote, neurotypical people can't sit and read the tax code all day. But now we know that these high-functioning individuals with autism actually can do that. They don't mind boring, repetitious stuff. So Ernest & Young, that's what I'm thinking of. So Ernest & Young will specifically hire people on the spectrum because Mm. they know these individuals can go through large amounts of data. The Israeli government, the um, Israeli Defense Forces, has a subgroup of... Uh, individuals with autism on the spectrum that they hire, uh, that they select for the IDF because they can study satellite maps for hours and hours and look for minute changes that would indicate maybe movement or activity on these satellite maps. They have that ability to hyper-focus and stuff where the rest of us would be, you know, we're all all too ADHD, (laughs) right? So now what we're seeing is that even certain individuals, particularly uh, high-functioning individuals in the spectrum, have a unique advantage uh, in in the job market. And they're being selected out for that. The U.S. government also has a selectively employs high-functioning individuals to go through large mega 
data sets to see codes and patterns where the rest of us wouldn't have the ability to sit and focus on that. Yeah. So That's fascinating. It is. So you really have to appreciate the whole spectrum. And like Becca says, you know, people just assume that, you know, when you say that it's going to be this individual who's very low functioning, nonverbal, and that's not necessarily the case. Hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, that is fascinating. They, I learned something. That's yeah. right. That's why y'all are here today. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about if there's somebody listening that mm. it's either their child or a family member that they think may be on the spectrum or they're not sure, they've waited, and maybe they're getting a little bit older and have more trouble in school. What are some of those things that you think would be a signal or something that they should take a next step and talk to somebody else? Right. So usually the big red flag, and Becca can talk more to this, is really not meeting your developmental milestones. Um, and as the child's developing, and usually speech is the first one. So do you yeah. want to elaborate on that? I, yes. Um, so uh, delay in speech is kind of the number one red flag that we see a lot of times. Um, and it's because in children with autism or people with autism, um, language means something completely different. Um, and so autism is a social language disorder. And so um, while you and I can walk into a room and read a room and use language to communicate with each other and read nonverbal cues and things like that, that is extremely difficult for children with autism. And so um, one of my kids who I've been with for about three years now um, didn't start talking until he was about three. And the thing that he started doing was labeling letters because that made sense in his world. And so mm. we were excited because he was finally starting to use language, but he was only using language to tell us A, B, C. Like he could name every letter um, in the alphabet at three years old, which is yeah. Crazy. I have an almost three-year-old at home, and we're still working yeah. on that. And so they have these, like Dr. Yevon said, restricted interest, and in, in those restricted interests, language means something. And so they use it to um, – so he could tell me how to spell juice, but he could not tell me that he wanted juice to drink. Um, he could tell mm. me – he spelled one time Nickelodeon, um, but he didn't want to – he didn't want to watch Nickelodeon. He just was Recognized. making sense of his world. And so um, – we see a lot of times that they can't use language to communicate their wants and needs or express their thoughts and feelings and things like that. And so um, that is one of the first really red flags that we see is that, um, one, they're not using language to communicate. They're not gesturing, waving hi and bye. Because um, even if they don't have words, we have different ways we communicate with gestures and things like that. And so if they're not using those things, um, sign language, waving, pointing, um, to request items. That's one of our red flags. And then two, um, children play. And the way they play is um, an extremely good look into their world and how they're viewing it. And so um, children with autism usually play one way um, and with toys one way, whether it's rolling cars, lining things up is something that um, a lot of people know about. And so um, just kind of watching how they're playing. Are they engaging in pretend play? Are they trying to feed the baby doll and put the baby doll to sleep? Or are they just looking at the baby doll's eyes and opening and closing them and things like that um, are a couple of things we really look for. Sure. And then I would just add to that. So whenever a parent has any concerns about their child's development, they just think it's not unfolding or the language isn't developing the way they expect, um, the first place to go typically is the pediatrician. Um, at the School of Allied Health, we uh, every third-year medical student has to rotate through our department, and then we also do additional training with the uh, pediatric residents because mm. we want them to be specifically trained on how to recognize the signs and symptoms of autism. 
And we teach them how to use screening instruments. Something. Do you feel like that fairly recent? How long have y'all been doing that? Because it seems like, and the perception is that there's mm-hmm. more of a rise of autism, and there's all kinds of theories, and people are out yeah. there and saying that, but is that something that you've been doing for a while, or is that fairly new? We've been training the residents for a while, yeah. um, for at least the last yeah. eight years. And so all graduating, you know, child psychiatry fellows, uh, pediatric residents are trained on how to screen. And in this Shreveport-Bossier area, they all screen for it. If a child fails the screening instrument, they are referred to our center for a comprehensive evaluation. So again, anytime you're concerned, start with your pediatrician and you would end up being referred on. And that's to really not wait till the child's school age. We know that we can confidently diagnose autism by two years of age. Hmm. We really want to be catching those kids by around 24 months. Because like you were saying, they get extra benefit of being at the younger age and be able to have that extra care. Right. So we know we can diagnose it by two years of age. The average age for diagnosis nationally is four years, hmm. and the state of Louisiana is six. Wow. So we have a lot of improvement that we could sure. do. So that's why we appreciate you having us on the show. We can still, in terms of increasing public awareness and really getting parents to really, as soon as they start to be concerned, kind of get that ball in motion um, and push for those evaluations. Um, now, talking about rates of diagnosis, that is an interesting conversation. We All right, let's do, do it. <laughs> the controversy let's starts. <laughs> We do know that the rates of diagnosis are going up. Um, If I could tell you exactly why, I think I'd have the Nobel Prize. Sure. I don't know. Um, We have gotten better at at recognizing what autism looks like. So, for instance, when I was a kid in school, back in the Stone Ages, um, you know, we only recognized the low end of the spectrum, what we were talking about earlier, right? Those kids that just didn't have speech or were so impaired and so delayed. And we didn't recognize the high-functioning kids. We just called them quirky. You know, they were just odd or different. But we now have cast our net wider. So we, we now recognize all of the different variants of autism. So that has caused the numbers to go up. We screen for it routinely. So we catch more kids that way. We're more aware of it. Even with all of that being said, it does appear that the numbers are still increasing. CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, the current number is 1 in 54 children have Mm. autism. That makes it the most common developmental disability, more common than deafness, blindness, CP, everything else rolled up into one. And so there's a lot of theories as to why that's the case, but no one can give you a definitive answer. Sure. Mm -hmm. I was misdiagnosed. Were you? Yes, I was. Talk about that, Scott. I didn't know that. That's <sighs> kind of a painful subject. Oh, okay. No, but no, I was in the uh, I was in the uh, uh, school system, and they tried to actually diagnose me as autistic and tried to put me in special ed. And uh, yeah, I was not. I mean, I have some. Mm-hmm. I have ADD and some other issues, but yeah, it was it was quite getting those labels did not help me. And how <laughs> old were you? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in elementary school, yeah. so. Third, fourth grade, maybe. Because I think it's interesting you hit on the younger kids, but then, like mm-hmm. you said, you got a colleague in eighth grade. So, what mm-hmm. about yeah. somebody whose kids are older and maybe mm-hmm. they've never been flagged as that, but mm-hmm. they still, the parent, the mom's intuition is a real mm-hmm. thing because my wife is way better at that. That yeah. is something of when they get older, what are some things that they would do to maybe signal a screening or talk to somebody? Absolutely. So, when we talk about the core features of autism, are still there whether you're on the low end of the spectrum or the high end of the spectrum. And the core features are social communication difficulties. So at the low end, those kids might not talk at all. Sure. But at the high end, they talk, but they don't get understand like 
sarcasm or jokes or humor or subtleties like how close you stand. So we all know like the really close, close talkers. talkers. Yeah. That's right. Really, there's a Seinfeld episode <laughs> right. of the really close talker. He's a close talker. Um, so those types of things, the kids who might really want friends, like at the low end, they're just indifferent to people and they, they're fine by themselves. They play off in a corner. The higher end, they want friends, but they don't understand how to make friends. They don't understand the social skills. They come on too strong. Um, they, they're they so strong, they're off-putting to other kids. Um, those types of things. So we see the, we still see the social communication difficulties and then we will still often have those kind of odd restricted obsessional interests so you have this kid who comes up and starts talking kind of at you rather than with you on right. like botany or something they find <laughs> fascinating yes. yes and you're like okay well nice talking to you see ya and they keep on talking <laughs> and you're sending every message that like I'm trying to end this conversation and right. I'm trying to leave now and it's like they're not picking up on any of your cues that like right. Nice talking to you. Take care now. And they're still going, you know, and you can see all this painful social difficulties. Yeah. So it's still there. On the lower end, they're more pronounced and they're more obvious. And so historically, it was really easy to diagnose the nonverbal kid rocking in the corner. Sure. But it was very hard to pick up on the higher functioning kids. But the core deficits still remain. Yeah. And I, was, I think I'll go ahead. I think one of those things, too, is we call it theory of mind, but they can't take the perspective of another person. And so, like Dr. Gutman mm. was saying, like, whenever you're like, okay, nice talking to you, they can't put themselves in your shoes and say, oh, they're ready to leave, um, you know. And so that is something that um, that also kind of stands out as well mm -hmm. in the older kids. And yeah. we do test for that. We have theory of mind tests yeah. that we actually, when we bring them in the clinic and we evaluate and we look from perspective taking yeah. and all of that formally in an evaluation process. Mm -hmm. That's great. So I was a youth pastor for a long time and we've had students through the years that were diagnosed with autism and actually two different boys stand out that were about sixth, seventh grade that was Pokemon. Mm -hmm. They were completely obsessed. They knew every Pokemon. Yeah. They knew everything mm -hmm. about them and if you'd ask them and just, I mean, they would go for 45 minutes. <laughs> that was I mean, a popular one. Yeah. yeah. But it was something that I guess was, it was organized and made sense yeah. and they were numbered and it yes. went through and they were very much about some Pokemon. And then you talked about sports. John Hakler is our executive pastor and his nephew is obsessed with NASCAR. Mm -hmm. Can tell you all the races, all Knows the things. Yeah. Every single car, the driver, yeah. every race. And he's in elementary school. Yeah. 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 He knows everything about yeah. it, knows when the races are going to happen, knows yeah. even the stuff like, like even not even the NASCAR circuit, like the smaller races, knows every yeah. car and driver and yeah. it's, that's mm -hmm. their thing yeah. lots of things to organize and memorize yeah. so Pokemon's the same thing but lots of facts and factoids to memorize and then wants to share with you even though you're kind of glazing over and <laughs> right. thinking I don't really care <laughs> but they like the organization and the factoids to memorize and then kind of spew back and so that's how they tend to operate I struggle with facts myself. So. You're the other way. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the exact opposite. So. Storyteller. Yep. Yeah, and I think sometimes, like, with the sports thing, um, I have a kid right now who is obsessed with sports as well. And, um, like, in football season, it was football. And so it wasn't as um, odd for him to talk about football because yeah. that's what was on TV, you know, things like that. But then, um, But then you don't talk about football in the spring, you know. And so it's like – just kind of keeping your eye on those things where sometimes they are socially appropriate um, mm -hmm. and sometimes they're really not. And so, hmm. mm -hmm. but, but what's also interesting though, is how we talk about if we can use that. So we used to just think that was like, 
I don't want to say a negative, but we see that as problematic. But now what we're trying to do is see if we can take that restricted range of interest and turn it into a future career path. So I had one kid who, when he was younger, his obsessional interest was dinosaurs. Um, But actually, he's grown up, and now he majored in uh, museum studies, and he's actually employed as a museum not curator, um, a, tour, a tour guide, guide yeah. tour guide. And I'm thinking, yeah. what a great career path because it's appropriate. He has memorized everything about this museum. He takes tour group after tour group and can spew back all the facts. Yeah. Exactly. And what a great, you know, he was able to channel that. And so now we kind of look at that and see that interest you have, is there any way we could use that and actually somehow channel that into a career path? for you. It's awesome. And I bet that's another benefit too of parents that are hesitant to be diagnosed or labeled that they find those resources and connections and know about these things that mm-hmm. you guys, I'm sure, help them and walk through that with them as they're trying to figure that out for what their kids and what that looks like. Yeah, And, and the generational difference is crazy because like even when I was a kid, you know, when you mentioned the word autism, whatever, that was a negative thing. And now it's not, doesn't have nearly the negative condemnation that it, it didn't yeah. have stigma. Absolutely. Since I can't say the other word that I just said. <laughs> connotations. Yes. Yeah, connotations. Yes. There we go. Negative that's connotations. It. Yes. And that's one of the reasons we're doing so many media things right now is just to get the word out and, um, try to take away some of that negative stigma. Yeah, and the reason why it's called a spectrum is because we also know that it's not like you're stagnant. When you get diagnosed with treatment and therapy, we know that a child can move up that spectrum. You know, a long time ago it was like, well, this is your diagnosis and that's it. You have autism, you're never going to change, and, you know, that's your life. And we know that's not true. The earlier you get diagnosed, the more aggressive treatment you have, you can actually move up that spectrum and the better off your prognosis. Hmm. Um, and so it's a very different picture now, yeah. very different future. Mm-hmm. And so now we have these kids who actually they get such aggressive, intensive treatment when they're young that they get to the point where, you know, they're mainstreamed in school and it's so hard to even identify them as still having autism. We don't like to talk about cure per se, but they get to the point where their symptoms become almost subclinical or subthreshold, where they blend so well. Um, and that's great to see. Yeah, mm-hmm. versus waiting and letting them get older and then having the more symptoms of that. Yeah, the right. negative aspects of right. it. Right, right. Oh, that's great. Right, and that has to do with when you're really young, the neuroplasticity of the brain. You know, like you and I, if we have a stroke now, it can have devastating effects on us. Babies can have a stroke in utero. Another part of their brain can just pick up and take over, and they can have no ill effects from it. And so young kids, when they're really young, if they receive intensive therapy like ABA, applied behavioral analysis, they can make incredible gains when they're very, very young particularly like two and three and four years old, um, rather than putting all that same kind of therapy post like age eight. It makes a lot more impact and difference on their ultimate outcome if they get that therapy early. Hmm. So that's what we're seeing now. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Where were you when I was a kid? (laughs) (laughs) Helped with lots of things. Yeah. Yeah. So if going to your pediatrician, so pretty much any pediatrician you think in the area, if you're Mm -hmm. in Shreveport, Bossier listening, would be able to direct them to you guys. But if you don't have a pediatrician, you don't know, how do they reach out and get in touch? Or if somebody's a family is listening and wants more information, do you have a way to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So they can call our the Children's Center, which is 813-2960. 813-2960, or they can go online to our website. Um, they can actually fill out a request for services through our website. 
Um, they can do that directly and request a, an appointment and services that way. Uh, and that can begin the process. And we do do evaluations for other things. We do evaluate kids for ADHD, learning disability, any type of developmental delay. It's not specific to autism. This is what we're trying to raise awareness about this month. Sure. But we do any type of um, any type of you know child issue where you think your child's not performing the way they should be. And we see children ages two through fifteen. That's wow. great. So mm-hmm. we'll put that in the show notes. So if you're listening to this or watching on YouTube, we'll mm-hmm. put the link there and you can go through and directly get in touch with you guys. Mm-hmm. You sent over some facts. I don't know if you had any more you wanted to hit on that maybe we go through of some interesting things about there's autism. A, there's a lot there's there. A lot, there. There's She's a lot of facts. Uh, well educated. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, there's a lot of facts. One thing that I'm very proud of that um, we're working, myself and the other speech pathologist, um, Mike McGill, we're working in partnership with the Shreveport Police Department. Hmm. Uh, we've been working, partnering with them to train Shreveport Police Department on how to interact with kids with autism. Um, so if I have a minute to talk about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Like okay. So, um, you know, they're under, Shreveport Police Department is under a grant right now. They're trying to improve the way they police and interact with the community they serve. And one of the um, targeted areas was individuals with disabilities, um, children with autism, First of all, individuals with disabilities are 10 times more likely to be victims of crime. Also, Mm. children with autism, three-quarters of them will elope at some point. And what that means is they get out of the house. So they, when mom's not looking, when mom's occupied, they slip out of the house. And for the younger kids, they might be nonverbal. They can't, even if they do get picked up by a police officer, they can't say their name. They can't say their address or telephone number. We don't exactly know why, but they tend to be drawn to bodies of water or heavy equipment. Um, They find water calming, but you could imagine how dangerous and scary this is. Um, I know this personally, this happened to a friend of mine, her nonverbal five-year-old. Every window and door is alarmed in the house, except for one, the golf cart garage door, and he slipped out, he was naked. He slipped out, he's five years old, he has autism, he cannot speak. And she didn't even know he was missing until like 10 minutes later, a neighbor said, hey, did you know your son got out of the house? And she found him and uh, it was in a construction site. There was some new home builds being built. The homeowner happened to be there checking on her build. And she called 911 because she found this little boy there and he couldn't say his name. Um, And the police officer in that case was wonderful. He was great. He said, I'm not even going to take your name. I myself have a child with a disability. Mm-hmm. I understand. He recognized this is not a, you know, child, child protection yeah. issue. She's not negligent. This is part of the disorder. And so parents really need a lot of support and training. We really advocate um, GPS technology, which parents can get for free or a very low cost. When we make the diagnosis, we give them this information. It's called the Big Red um, toolkit and it has to do with safety how to childproof your home but you can go online and order this gps technology even if you're just going to use it when you're going to disneyland or somewhere yeah. where you might lose your child um, but the police can activate it and find your child really quickly we've also so we do a community service presentation for the police department about what autism is because you know they look like everybody else but they become agitated if you try to touch them, they might become aggressive, they might not follow commands, the sirens, the dogs might really stress them out. 
So how to better interact if a child has autism or if an individual has autism and how to handle a child with autism. Because unfortunately, there has been some very rare, but a few cases where it's gone very poorly between the police and an individual with autism. And we want to really prevent that from happening. My personal experience has been the officers have always done a great job, but we want to continue that and make sure that all new officers being trained get that information. So we're really proud to work with that partnership. And the police have been wonderful, and they want to participate in that training. So That's we're awesome. really happy to be part yeah. of that. It's great, yeah. And police are in the news a lot, right? There's yes. a lot of negative yes. things. And exactly. so our church, actually, we brought in some training for Shreveport police officers as well. There's a documentary called Ernie and Joe Crisis Cops. I don't know if you've heard of it. It was an HBO documentary. Mm-hmm. But they had a mental health unit in San Antonio. Yeah, they actually they, the, they actually started it Yeah, because uh, they had an officer friend who actually unfortunately committed suicide. Uh, after going through some very tough things, and so that got them thinking about mental health. When you when you you know encounter somebody that has a severe mental health issue, schizophrenia or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. and how to handle that. And so you right. you kind of go hand in hand with that in a way, dealing with people with mm-hmm. mental mental issues. So we were able right. to fundraise the money, and they came in and trained, and got a relationship with Joe, one of the guys from the yeah. thing, and they're trying to do stuff. Yeah, and, and they've help. actually so we paid for two training sessions, and then they actually came back and did two or three more for free because the officers responded so well to it and the city wanted to be so much a part of it that they actually came back for free at no cost to actually do more training. So That's wow, wonderful. That's, yeah. that's yeah. great. But this is what you guys are trying to do. You're yeah, just trying to help just, partner with people and do good. That's and what help we're about. them understand the community they serve. Yeah. And, and in the Shreveport-Bosher community, part of the community you serve is people have disabilities and sometimes they're hard to recognize. So just helping them understand the community they serve. Some empathy. We're a big fan of the word empathy. Yeah. And they're really receptive to it too. So it's actually like, I I love doing those lectures. That's great. Becca, how about you? Any other fact, fun thing, end on things that might be interesting? Um, I'll put you on the spot. Yeah. I would just say, um, I don't know. How about ABA or ABA program? That you're yeah. part of. Okay, so we just started an ABA program earlier, um, I guess this school year, um, back in August. And so we've started um, partnering with an ABA therapist there. And so the children that we serve through therapy get ABA, occupational therapy, and speech therapy all through our clinic. And so um, I think that that is a cool a cool thing because uh, there's not one cure-all for autism, you know? And so um, behavior therapy is phenomenal, but it is not on its own the best thing and then um, occupational therapy is great but on its own it can't do very much and so speech therapy is the same way and so um, just our multidisciplinary team that we collaborate with all um, different therapists on all our kids and just um, helping them reach their full potential um, you know and um, and so that has been an awesome addition to our clinic um, to be able to serve, not only evaluate and diagnose children, but be able to begin treatment with them and walk with them through that journey. Um, that has been really cool. That's great. So does that happen in the schools or they come to you? Um, it's in our clinic um, on, I guess, Claiborne Street. Yeah, um, yeah. Claiborne so Avenue. But yes. it's like one-stop shopping for the family, though, yeah. too. So it's really nice. So moms don't have to cart around all three different locations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and just being able to collaborate with those people is helpful because what I'm working on is also being addressed in ABA therapy and occupational therapy, and what they're working on is also being addressed in speech therapy. And so working together, um, yeah. Wow. So, and involving the parents, and you know, um, yeah. 
Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. Thanks for yeah. having Thanks us. for what you're doing, serving our community and investing in families and helping. And it sounds like it's it's optimistic that there is oh, better definitely. treatment than there's oh, ever been and things are absolutely. going. And that is just a really cool thing of, I think it is such a scary, big word to throw out that your kid would be autistic. But mm-hmm. what you guys are doing and helping families is something that can be a huge benefit and to get over that hurdle to be there and give it a shot. Right. I agree. Exactly. Thank you so awesome. much for having Thank us. Thank you guys. Yes. Thank you so much. I feel Thank more y'all. educated. That's good. We <laughs> that both need that. Thing. Yes. <laughs> Thank y'all. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening. Then we hope that was informational that for was you. That was informational. Informational. So informative. Much. That's the word I was looking for. Mm, That's a better word. Informative. informative. But if you would like more information, check out the show notes. We'll link to everything Dr. Yetman talked about. And again, thank you for downloading and subscribing, watching this on YouTube, wherever you did. Make sure that you get the next one next week. You don't want to miss next a single week. episode. Yes. So subscribe, hit that button, and get as a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening. Like it on YouTube, and we hope that you'll be back next week. Yes, and remember, it is Autism Awareness Month. Absolutely. Month of April. Very important. It is. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.